following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. Hey, everybody. It's Laurel, executive producer of Forbes Podcasts. Today, we're bringing in the new year with a chat Steve had with Brad Katsuyama at the Forbes Under 30 Summit that took place in October of this year. Katsuyama is the CEO of IEX, a new stock exchange. Here we go. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. Brad, welcome. How many of people here have ever read the book Flash Boys or know what Flash Boys is? All right, we've got a good audience here. <laughs> well, here is the Flash Boy and Flash Man himself, Brad Gatsuyama. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So what's going on, man? What's happening with IEX? Give me an update, because I know a lot has happened in the last year. So yeah, I mean, a year ago, IEX got approved to be uh, the newest stock exchange in America. So we compete every day with New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. Um, you know, we've grown about 50% since becoming an exchange uh, last year, and we'll do 5 to $7 billion a day in, in trades. Um, Quality is, is, you know, ranked number one in, you know, in, in America. And I think, you know, for us, it's just about continuing to grow and scale the business. It's been a wild year because, you know, having a startup is, you know, tough enough. But you were preparing, you had to get, you were fighting to get, become a, uh, uh, an exchange. And you had to kind of go against the, not against the SEC, but prepare for this big reg- regulatory decision. And it was very binary, like whether you'd be shut down or, you know, you get this granted status. And how did you run the startup when you had such an overhang with legal stuff, yet you're still innovating and selling and, you know, getting stuff done? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the reasons, you know, institutional finance or Wall Street um, hasn't been disrupted as much as it probably should have been uh, is because of regulation. You know, regulation keeps a lot of the innovators out. Uh, I think it creates huge, huge barriers to, uh, to competition. And, yeah. you know, we just found ourselves, in a way, at the mercy of... of the regulatory body, whether they approved us or they declined us, um, pretty nerve-wracking situation. But you know, we built a good track record. Um, luckily, I think you know something like Flash Voice helped quite a bit because it created this public awareness for uh, for what was happening in the stock market, and I think that that ultimately helped kind of get us that that approval that we needed. And excuse us for a moment to thank our sponsors, LifeLock and Amica. More about those sponsors later in the show. There were some, some you know, kind of old school players lined up for you guys and some people lined up against th- this decision. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of exactly as you would expect, you know, for those who didn't read Flash Boys, you know, IEX kind of came to prominence in a way by identifying the fact that stock exchanges sell uh, high-speed data and high-speed technology uh, to a group of, of traders called high-frequency traders. Essentially, if you want to know about prices changes before someone else, you can pay the exchange for an advantage and then use that advantage to trade against people who are, um, you know, who are trading slower, traditional yeah. investors. So, which is probably every, mostly everyone here. Yeah, mostly every, unless there's you know, some other people in this room, uh, which there probably is, but anyhow. Um, you know, so from our standpoint, we were applying to be an exchange. We were being supported by mutual funds and pension funds. Mm. 
uh, teachers' retirement systems, but even some big banks. Goldman wrote a support, uh, Goldman Sachs wrote a supporting letter against us were New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, BATS, the big exchanges, and a group of high-speed traders. So it was almost exactly as you would expect. You know, when you're trying to uh, create a level playing field, those who have the advantage are going to scream and yell, um, and those who you're trying to help level the playing field for, they're going to be supportive. So it was kind of exactly as we, as we had thought. And now that that overhang is over, well, you've gotten through that, you're now in exchange. Um, what is kind of the game plan? What are you guys excited to roll out, and what's the day-to-day? Yeah, so the big thing for us this year is, is uh, what's called listings. So what not a lot of people know is that a stock like IBM can trade on any exchange, actually trade in like 40 or 50 places in the United States, but the New York Stock Exchange is the listing market. They open and close the stock every day. Um, so IX is applying to become a listings market. Yeah. Um, we're going to launch that business later this year. There's a group of companies that have lined up to, to switch their listings, which is a big wow. deal. It's been a 50-year-old duopoly um, between New York and NASDAQ. Can you so tell I, us who's, been, who's lining up? I can. I, I think in Forbes, Steve Wynn had said that he was going to move, yeah. uh, you know, Wynn. Uh, but other than that, I think none of the, none of the names are public yet, um, mostly because I think New York and NASDAQ would, would, would do everything they could to, to stop that from happening. So I'll right, keep that you, quiet you, for now. When you sign up Apple, call me up, break the news, okay? <laughs> that would be... Right. That would be really good. I'm just curious, how many people here are kind of in the stock trading world or investing world? And I'm trying to look at the audience here. All right. This is, this is pretty good. You got a good, you got a good core group here. <laughs> is high frequency trading a problem for anyone in this room? You guys feel like you're getting beaten or, or scalped by the system? All right. Not that hardcore, so we'll figure it out. <laughs> so I think... Well, we, I think one, one interesting thing is that, you know, when people... People are trading... So if you, if you're, you, know, you have an online account yeah. and you're actively trading, that's one way... Uh, if you have a 401k or retirement um, invested with someone, whether you know it or not, you're trading. Because your retirement, the person managing it, is yeah. in the market trading every day. So you know, whether people know that they're being affected or not, uh, the system is affecting you in some ways. And you know, when, uh, when there's such a distinct advantage being bought you know, for billions of dollars, they're clearly making more than that. Um, it's at the expense of those who, who don't trade in, in microsecond and millisecond mm-hmm. time frames. So I think it's... Um, you know, the, the shocking part, especially as Michael Lewis was going through it, was, um, you know, how the industry had kind of aligned itself around this practice and things that Wall Street, I guess, accepts as common practice, you know, the everyday person just can't believe it. So it's, it's something that it's hard to get used to, but it's, wow. when you work in the industry, that's the way it is. So, you know, this whole, part of this whole sum is we're celebrating kind of innovation, we're celebrating entrepreneurs and risk takers. Uh, before you were, you know, you were running a, a trading desk at, uh, on the sell side, yeah. which is probably the least entrepreneurial place you can be. Nothing wrong with that, but I'm saying it's like you're part right. of the big system. But you found this problem, made this jump. So I'd love to hear how you went from you had a great job on the street and you took this big gamble to start IEX. I'd love to hear that story. Sure. Yeah. So I mean. I spent uh, 12 years at the Royal Bank of Canada. It's a, it's a huge bank, biggest company in Canada, 80, 85,000 employees. Um, and it was the only company I'd ever worked for. So like st- leaving there and starting a company was not something I, I think I'd ever planned on. Um, I did have a lot of jobs. I had seven jobs in 12 years at RBC. And I think, you know, even if you work for a big company, there's ways to, in a way, I think they call it an entrepreneur or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, running different business lines inside of a company, doing things differently, taking on new jobs, um, just constantly trying to find new things to do. Uh, you know, whether it's you're in a startup and you're fighting for your life or whether you're in a big company, um, you can find those experiences. So, so even though I worked for RBC for 12 years, having seven jobs is, is in a way, 
kind of relearning all over again each time. And I think that helped me dramatically. I don't, there's no way in the world um, I could have ever been a part of, of starting uh, IEX. There were eight co-founders. Two of them are sitting over there somewhere. All right. Uh, Dan and Stan. Um, they were under 30, too, so you don't have to be uh, an old guy like me nice. to yeah, like start a financial oct- oct- Octo-founders. <laughs> That's right. What, what kind of jobs did you, like you said you had you know, seven different careers inside RPC. Yeah. What, can you, what, kind of, what kind of things? Yeah, so I, I traded programs, uh, which is large baskets of stocks. Yeah. Uh, I traded energy. I traded tech. I ran our hedge fund coverage group. I ran U.S. risk trading. I was the head of global electronic sales and trading. So kind of bounced around in different verticals, and um, each one's kind of its own business. And so I, I think, um, you know, running, taking on different jobs, doing things differently, just is a, mm-hmm. it's a mindset. Yeah. And I think um, the biggest thing I think I learned on, on the other side, starting IEX, was, was how much you take for granted what big companies offer. So, you know, I think a lot of times people start companies just to, to start a company. Yeah. Um, you know, I would, I would highly advise you, big company experience is, is something that's valuable. Um, and in many ways, it helps you kind of develop skills that you might not otherwise develop if you're starting a company, because then you're worried about, the t- is the telephone working and payroll and all this other stuff, yeah. right? So <laughs> I think, um, you know, there are pros and cons to, to each side. But I think, you know, now it's, Startups are, you know, companies are starting left, right, and center. It's just making sure you're committed to your idea, you have a lot of experience, and, um, you know, and it's the right time. And we'll be right back after this quick break to say support for the Forbes interview comes from Amica Insurance. We're living in the age of the discerning shopper when savvy consumers increasingly favor brands that value authenticity, ethics, and a great shopping experience. Amica is committed to being a company people trust. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes and find out why 95% of Amica customers with combined auto and home policies stay with them. One more time, that's meetamica.com slash Forbes to find out more about Amica insurance. So take me to that decision. You're, you, know, you were leading a desk. You were making very good money for some, well, your age, for some your age, but someone's at anyone's age. You're making great money, and you said, you know what? Like, I'm going to jump off, and I think you were working in like, a dirty closet that Michael Lewis found you guys in. Like, yeah. Take me to that, that, trans, <laughs> that transition. Because you, know, you, you had it made, and then you decided to not only start a new company, but um, kind of compete against some of the biggest financial kind of, you know, institutions there are. Right. Yeah, I, I think... You know, it's a lot of it was about timing. So I think there were there were a few factors. I think one is that um, at RBC, the last business I ran was called Electronic Trading, and we had discovered some of the things that we that were talked about in Flash Boys. Uh, the business was very successful, very fast, and what that meant is that everyone on my team uh, was getting job offers from other firms. Yeah. So it's like winning the Super Bowl. And then the next year, everyone's a free agent, right? How many of those people are going to be on that team the next year? Not a lot, because the value of everyone has gone up. So I realized that uh, Royal Bank of Canada could not afford to keep the group together. together. Uh, So that was part one. I think part two was the fact that we realized that um, to solve this issue, a lot of people villainize high-frequency trading. Um, It's easy. I mean, some of them have never had a losing trading day in, in eight, ten years. I mean, that's, that's hard to that's do. Like, that's like my track record. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think the exchanges are the most to blame, right? Yeah. The stock exchanges, they're, national, they're regulatory agencies, they are, they, are, they are nationally recognized. 
Um, and they sell advantages to, to a small group of players. I mean, that just is something that, you know, from my standpoint, was pretty offensive. So wanting to be an exchange and really solve this was part two. And I think the third part was this societal shift that I started to see, right? It was, it was kind of mid-2011, and I remember reading an article uh, in the newspaper basically saying uh, Goldman Sachs was having trouble paying their best people because they wanted to pay them enough to keep them, but they didn't want to pay them too much to enrage the public, <laughs> and, and when you read something like that, you realize that... The That's soci- a real problem to have. Right? <laughs> it's society's impact on how Wall Street was operating was starting to change. Yeah. And I think that um, when, you, when you see these kind of trends uh, in isolation, maybe it's not enough to leave, but I, th- I think we want it to be... We want to start our own company kind of you know, with our own brand. We want it to be an exchange, um, and I want it to keep the team together. Right. So that, that's kind of why we had eight co-founders is that um, you know, we wanted... There, there's this nucleus of people that we wanted to, to keep. And, um, you know, from our standpoint, it was, uh, the, the timing was right. My second son was born three days after I quit. So life was changing rapidly. Um, lots of risk. Lots yeah, of startups. Well, lots of risk. But, uh, but, you know, thankfully, it's, it's worked out pretty well. And, you know, speaking of timing, it's funny. When you launched, so, you know, a lot of people in PR, they call media, they call, you know, articles earned media basically. Right. Or, yeah. And you basically hit the jackpot in, in, in that because <laughs> right. not, you got to launch with a Michael Lewis, you know, hardcover book that was turned into a giant New York Times story, which was then re- released via 60 Minutes with like, the, like half the country watching. I, I love this story. Tell me how this kind of, when did you find out this is all happening? And then take me that night when you were sitting with your friends at home watching 60 Minutes. Yeah. You know, it's, we met Michael Lewis. Uh, we helped Michael Lewis write a story about somebody else. Um, so, uh, Which one was that? There's a guy, Sergei Elenikov, was a yeah. high-frequency trading programmer, got thrown in prison for stealing computer code. Um, and Michael Lewis wrote an article in Vanity Fair about the fact that this guy's in jail and no one actually knows what he took. And, and so we helped educate Michael on, on high-frequency trading. As he, as he got to kind of learn more about us, there was this time where he... He asked to come to our office, and we were mortified. Our office, there were seven, there were, I think at the time, 12 of us in a room smaller than this stage, no yeah. windows. Um, it was pretty depressing. Michael yeah. Lewis came in and started looking around. He just could, like, this is the group of people that's helping me write this article. Um, like, wait a minute, these are my sources? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Didn't look too good, I think, at the time. But um, he got more interested in IEX, and he said, oh, well, I'm going to write a short story about IEX. And then it became, oh, I'm going to write, maybe I'll, it'll be a short book. And then similar to my own journey, he got about a year and a half into it and came back and said, I think this is going to be a blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know at the time, because he was talking to a lot of different people, and if, like, I don't how many people have seen the big short in here or read it, right? Yeah. He takes a bunch of storylines and weaves them together. So I had, I, you know, Sergei Elenikov is, is this foreign character, you know, to me, but, yeah. you know, I understood that, you know, we were being weaved into the same narrative. So I didn't, I didn't know at the time, really, that... I would be as central... I knew I was going to be a, a, a character, but I didn't know I was going to be kind of a central yeah. um, piece you're the, of it. You're the star. You can say it. You're, no. the, you're the hero. No. You're the hero. No. So when, when, we, we, when we got the books, um, we got them two days before 60 Minutes came out because parts of it had gotten leaked onto Amazon. Um, and I just remember sitting, I was sitting with my wife, reading, flipping through it. First of all, the first thing I'm thinking is... Uh, so many people are going to hate us because it was just, you know, the industry laid to waste, um, but also kept showing up over and over and over. And, and it, it, was, it was a story about, you know, you know IEX, and um, we were very prominent. So, you know, 60 Minutes came on on a Sunday night, 
Um, I, wa- I was at home with my wife and, and, my, and my two kids. I didn't want any, you know, I was too nervous. I didn't want any, you know, big, big thing. Yeah. Um, the, what made me most nervous about 60 Minutes is that I was interviewed for three hours. The segment was 12 and a half minutes, yeah. and there were four people talking. So I was two and a half minutes of a three-hour interview. Um, so depending on how they stitched together that narrative, I, I'd, I'd probably look a lot of different ways. Um, but I'll never forget it. At the end of the 60 Minutes episode... 20-minute episode, I had more LinkedIn requests than I had connections. <laughs> so, you know, life changed pretty dramatically pretty quickly. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Are you doing a lot of holiday shopping from your mobile device? You're not alone. Retailers expect 54% of holiday shoppers to visit their sites from mobile devices. Scammers see this as an opportunity to steal your credit card information and other personal data by distributing phony retail apps. Be cautious and only download apps from reputable app stores and read the reviews for any complaints about malware. One in four people have experienced identity theft. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If you have a problem, U.S.-based restoration specialists will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can uncover threats that you might miss. Join now and get 10% off with promo code FORBES. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to lifelock.com and use promo code FORBES. That's FORBES to save 10% now. Podcast One has new shows on our new app. Check out all the cool features to help you explore our exciting new programming, like America's Lakers podcast with Jay Moore, So Random with Corinne Olympios, Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast, Not Just Sports with Susie Schuster and Rich Eisen, and Sessions with Randy Jackson, as well as your old favorites like The Lady Gang, Steve Austin, Shaquille O'Neal, and Adam Carolla. Get the new Podcast One app in the App Store, Google Play, or PodcastOne.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. Yeah, because you remember you told me before that you had a ton of, like, hate mail and threats, but then at the same time you had a ton of resumes flowing in at both sides. Yeah, yeah, there was... Which means you probably have it right when you have haters and people that want to be part of it, right? Yeah, it didn't feel right at the time. I think a lot of people were, were really angry, um, and, and a lot of people, I think, were really proud of us. And I think that, you know, it's... Michael Lewis gave me really great advice. This is just good, good life advice in general. He said, listen, when this, when this comes out, he's like, read an article... Because uh, this is like right after I, after I read the whole book, I called him up and I was, yeah. we started talking. Um, and he said, uh, read an article about you that says a lot of good things. says you're a hero. And he goes, read an article about you that says you're a fraud. He's like, trust me, both of them are going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said, do an inventory. He's like, if the bad one makes you feel way worse than the good one makes you feel good, um, stop reading everything. Um, and that was the greatest advice uh, I, I got. Because I, I really, the last... I probably, since that time, that was three years ago, I've probably read less than 10 articles in full, uh, period. Yours I read in full. You read mine uh, Yeah, absolutely, word to word. Uh, but I just, you can't, you got to take it, you know, it's, um, when, you, when you're trying to disrupt a system, yeah. the system is going to do everything it can to reject you. Um, 
And so I think if, if you take a lot of that personally, it'll be really hard to get up every day and keep pushing. And so I yeah. think that was, that was good advice. I, I, I use it to this day. Um, I'm not on, you know, I don't, I quit Twitter because people say really mean things on there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Michael Lewis said, he goes, Twitter are the conversations that were designed to happen behind your back yeah. that now they're happening right in front of you. So he's like, you know, so, so uh, new, that was good. New, it was we have good a new sanity. slogan for Twitter. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just asked, like when you're, when, you know, you've, when you get such an impassioned response from people on both sides, what advice? And you just say, just ignore it, like cut the pipeline out, don't even, don't even tempt yourself to look and react? Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's people at, at IEX that read every single article that comes out, and the, and the things that I need to know, they're going to tell me. But, you know, my focus is on our employees, our clients, our business. Um, so if, you know, I'm out there locking horns with people on, on, on the Internet. That's just not, I'm not going to be, you know, where I need to be. Um, and focus on what I need to focus on. So it's, it's partly a, a, a personal choice and partly, I think, a business choice. And I think, um, you know, from, from you know, my, my specific situation, um, it just seems to be, a, you know, one that's working for me. Because the, the, the negative stuff, it doesn't matter what anyone says, when people write nasty things about you, it just never feels good. <laughs> no. so. Yeah, you can say you, don't, you, you ignore it, but it's hard to get out of your, out right. of your head. Um, you know, Wall Street's a small circle. Do you ever find yourself at an event or like a cocktail party with a few people from NASDAQ, maybe people from the New York Stock Exchange? Do you ever have any bump-ins or run-ins? No, not really. I don't, I don't think we're allowed on the New York Stock Exchange anymore, but uh, no, not, there's not, not, not a lot. You know, we're, we're, we're person non grata in some of those Wall Street circles, I, I would say, yeah. So a lot of people here, you know, working in, you know, in, in finance, it's heavily regulated, as you know, and you know, it's very structured. What advice do you have for someone who wants to get more creative? It doesn't have to be an entrepreneur and have a startup, but you know, like you said, you were always trying new things at RBC, you know, taking on new challenges. Like, what advice do you have p- for people for putting themselves in that position, A, and B, like, you know, making the most out of it? Yeah, I, I think you, know, you, have to, you have to have the right network. You have to have the right kind of resources, and I think that you know, creating networks is, is give and take. Um, but specifically as it, as it relates to regulation, you know, regulation is where a lot of the money's made. Um, you know, there's this cycle, and we've talked about this before, yeah. where, you know, Wall Street has, has, had, its long, uh, has had a long history of scandals. Um, the response to any scandal is new regulation. Yeah. You know, when new regulation is, is put in, the reason, you know, the whole apparatus in D.C., people lobby for loopholes. Right? So there's the intention of the regulation, and then there's what actually gets you know, implemented. So people lobby for loopholes so that they can exploit the loopholes. They exploit them to such a degree it creates the next scandal. Yeah. Right? Regulation, loophole, exploitation, and you know, it's been going on 100 years. The issue with that is that as regulation gets packed on top of regulation, the only people trapped inside are the people that have been doing it, are, yeah. like, are part of the scandals. Right? They're the ones that know how to operate in this heavily regulated environment. So... You know, our chief regulatory officer came from the New York Stock Exchange. Uh-huh. Um, you know, our, our, our head of market operations came from New York. Um, you know, our chief information security officer came from BlackRock. Um, you have to, especially in a Wall Street institutional finance business, um, you have to partner kind of the, the, the big idea thinkers, the visionaries. You have to partner them with people that have that operational expertise and, mm-hmm. and skill set. Um, because regulation will enable you in some instances, and it will totally destroy you in others, right? So it's, you just got to, you have to know it, you know, cold. Yeah. Well, what's the current, like, leaving certain presidential personalities out of it, what is the current, like, regulatory environment? Like, this current government, are they, is it status quo? Are they pushing for something? Like, do you see uh, like, good things happening or bad things happening on just on pure, like, 
regulatory side with what you do? I mean, I think, I think the desire to, to lighten regulation um, is actually a good thing. A lot of the regulation in place right now hurts the little person. And that, that might sound crazy, um, but the most sophisticated people understand regulation better than anyone else. So it's like the person who understands the tax code better than ever, and, you know, yeah. the, other, the next person is going to have means to kind you, of exploit that. You've got to know that. the rules to get around them, basically. Absolutely. So I think principles-based regulation, starting to peel back some of the regulation, will actually end up helping um, you know, innovation. So that's, that's, that's kind of been the mandate. That's been the, the, you know, the kind of what's been discussed. Um, it'd be great to see it in practice. You know, there, we, have, we have mounds of regulation in our industry um, that I do think hurts, hurts the little person. And so now, that being said, as you're peeling back regulation, depending on which ones you peel back, yeah. the outcome will be very different. So I think, you know, another reason why I think IX has built a good foothold is because we represent the counterweight on behalf of the, the everyday person to say, you know, we're a sophisticated firm and we're in D.C. saying these are the regulations that we think hurt, these are the regulations that I think are necessary to help, you know, the everyday investor. If you had a magic wand that could do you know, one thing government-wise, what would you do? Either create or repeal. What a lot of people don't realize, so if you're, if you're a stock exchange and you're selling advantages to high-speed traders on your market, who would ever want to send an order to that market waiting for, you know, you know to get picked off? Exchanges, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, BATS, uh, last year in 2016, paid $2.7 billion to brokers to send them order flow, paying for order flow. Um, that's a serious issue. Yeah. Um, it's in, in be, if an investor order is sent on, it's, it's by a broker... It's obviously legal. It's legal, it? but in a way, it's, it's a kickback. The broker keeps the, 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 the rebate, even if it's a customer's order. Um, I would eliminate rebates. The whole notion that you can pay a fiduciary to do something... That's not in the interest of their client. There's, it's one thing to, to do something that's not in the interest of your client. It's another thing to actually take a payment yeah. to do that. Um, so I think that's, it's a serious issue. And it's been, in a way, it's so ingrained in the market as common practice, paying for order flow. The person who invented payment for order flow is Bernie Madoff. Oh, I was on, yeah. He never lost money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but I, I was on a plane coming home last night from, D, uh, from the West Coast, and I, I saw Wizard of Lies, uh, this HBO movie. So remind me of it. But it, it's a practice that we accept as okay, when in reality, if you sanity check it against any normal person, they say, how is that allowed? Yeah. So I think when you look at some of these regulations, they need to be reassessed in the broader context, what's good for the everyday investor, the yeah, person whose yeah. retirement or savings is, is being invested? That's a good rule. Anything that Bernie Madoff invented should probably be pulled from the, uh, the system. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good <laughs> All right, we have time for, I think, one more question. What are you, so what are you most excited about right now, like, you know, in the next, you know, two to three years of IEX? Like, what can we look for? Like, what are you focusing on? What do you think you can do? What's, you know, getting you, getting you going? I mean, I, for us, it's, you know, we, some of our best relationships are, uh, large pension funds and asset managers. These are the people that are managing, you know, your, your retirements and, and savings. Um, you know, we have great relationships with them. You know, we're, we're, we're a technology-focused company. Uh, as regulatory changes happen, we want to make sure that those changes are, are happening for, you know, the benefit of, of the, most, mm-hmm. the most people. And, and as a stock exchange, you know, right now, so we'll do 5 to $7 billion a day. Um, IX is larger than the Toronto Stock Exchange. We're larger than the Deutsche Bourse. We're still only two point. Right before I walked in here, we're two point six percent of the U.S. volume. 
When you go back to Toronto, do you go and brag to everyone that you're bigger than, than they are now? No, no the I, I don't do that. No, but, but 2.6% of the volume. Um, NASDAQ's the largest exchange at 14% of the yeah. volume. So there's a huge amount of upside in IEX and, and just continuing down the path that we're on, um, you know, tr- trying to, trying to you know, improves, improve people's you know, trading quality um, and just trying to level the playing field. It's, it's been a... It's been a long-term mission, and I think we're still in the early stages of doing that. Wow, and you got some great young talent here. Are you, are you hiring? Are you hiring? Right <laughs> absolutely, now? always looking, always oh, looking. Right now you get yes. flooded some, with more more resumes. We love it. Yeah, hopefully less absolutely. hate mail. <laughs> I'll get the hate mail. Brad, yeah. thank you so much, guys. Brad Katsuyama from yeah, IX. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com. was a great year for us here at Podcast One, and we hope it was a great year for you. We launched new shows with Caitlin Bristow, Jim Harbaugh, Dick Enberg, and Randy Jackson. We've had some amazing guests stop by some of our shows, like Brian Cranston on Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Julia Louis-Dreyfus on All of the Above with Norman Lear. And Jason Bateman on Spike's Car Radio with Spike Ferriston. We are looking forward to a bright 2018 with new shows coming online, like MySpace Tom Anderson. And we are welcoming back Dennis Miller to the podcast scene. This is Heather Dubrow. Happy holidays. Cheers. I'm Caitlin Bristow, and I want to wish you happy holidays. Hey, guys, it's Kelsey Knight from The Lady Gang. Happy holidays. We'll see you in the new year. From all of us here at Podcast One, we want to wish you a very happy holiday and a happy new year. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.